shopping today and I'll go to school tomorrow. First impressions are incredibly important. Honey, you can make a wonderful first impression. Brenda, how could you? He was a jerk, okay? I've made my choice and I choose me. No So Connection Podcast Network listeners, welcome to a new episode of 9021 No So, our Beverly Hills 9020 podcast retrospective series. I am JT, and joining me as always is my buddy Tim. Tim, how you doing? Pretty good, JT, and the countdown continues. I mean, we're really at the home stretch here, about to wrap up this first season, put it behind us, and move on into a more fondly remembered territory for the show, although... We have been pretty pleasantly surprised, uh, the both of us, in this little run um, through the first season. We do have a first-time guest joining us. JT, who is this individual? Yeah, he is a first-time guest, and it's a pretty fun backstory as to how he ended up here. Um, but let's bring him in first, and then we'll tell the story. And that is my uh, my buddy, Charlie Angeloro. Charlie, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. And uh, excited to have you here. And it, it was kind of like one of the more random stumbles into this whole thing. Um, so to give to give the backstory, Charlie is the boyfriend of uh, my wife's best friend, Michelle. And her and Michelle go way back. And they're 90210 diehards. And they've been best friends since elementary school. And Charlie, you went to school with them, right? I did. I did. I graduated with them. Okay. So you knew them for a while. Oh. Um, but you and Michelle just just reconnected over the last year or so right and started dating about it, it's it's almost been a year it's almost been a year correct wow fast year and things are going well so that's good um so you guys were over one night we were having drinks and some food and we were just like flipping through the channels and we put pluto tv on and put the 90210 channel and you like started marking out immediately you're like oh you know i love now too i know all the episodes <laughs> like like and i think we that was that was the night i think we found the fire which is tim and i's favorite episode Ooh, we love that one yeah yeah um my thing i've been a 41 i've been watching forever and i continue so, to watch on yeah no go ahead no i i mean it's 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 my thing i've always loved it always been a fan so it was uh it was comical when you put it on that night. I uh, I got a kick out of it. <laughs> you got excited. And then I think my wife mentioned like, oh, like, you know, yeah, Justin has a podcast about 920. And you were like, oh, I'll listen to that. And then I think you were like, I'll be on that. And uh, I think you started listening immediately to the back catalog. And I said, look, when you're ready, you can, you can come on. So we get you scheduled. Um, and here, here you are. I'm here ready to go. So did you, did you watch the whole like live from the start? pretty much no no so i i probably started maybe like watching live i think i watched i started maybe like season four or five but then like every day back in the day it was on like two times a day on some channel i don't remember the channel it was but i always went back and watched and watched and watched Mm -hmm. until i was able to watch every episode but like the final five seasons i think i watched live but i always been a I've always got me. All right. So anyway, excited to have you here and, uh, you know, a deep, some of the deep knowledge because we've, we've kind of run the gamut with guests. We've had some like you 
that like know the whole history of the show. And then we've had a few guests that are like just discovering it, watching along with us. So it's always cool to bounce back and forth. But like you said, this is a very big episode. It's season one, episode 19 of the season. So like Tim mentioned earlier, we are cruising along here and it's entitled April is the cruelest month. And it actually aired in April, April 11th, 1991. Yeah. So pretty cool that they're kind of tracking with time. We're still got the SAT storyline going. It's, it's like our third episode, I think, where they're t- talking SATs. So we're, we're kind of moving along with like the school year time wise, which is which is good. Um, and we also have a very big guest star on this episode is Matthew Perry, uh, who, of course, later go on to star in Friends. I guess not too long after this, right? Because this is May 91. When's Friends Star? Like 95? Yeah, like 94, 95, something like that. I don't think it was as early as 93, was it? That sounds... No, no. Uh, but, um, yeah, not too, too long. Was it after... It was after Seinfeld, wasn't it? Yeah, Seinfeld was 89. Um, Friends is 94. So Okay. Right. Yeah, so there's only a few years before. And it's funny because he looks young here. And it's just, I think, three years later, like, mm-hmm. he, you know, he looks mm-hmm. fairly older when Friends starts. He's the same exact age as Brandon Priestley in that episode. Oh, wow. All right. Yep, well, there okay. you go. I guess they're both old. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, when you think about it, I suppose. Um, but he had done a lot of TV before this. Like, he had done a Who's the Boss, uh, Growing Pains, Empty Nest. Just the Ten of Us, Highway to Heaven, Silver Spoons, Charles and Charles. I mean, he hit the whole gambit of like 80 wow. sitcoms um, until Friends came along. So and then, of course, he's got a pretty robust stuff from there. But uh, yeah, so uh, it was exciting to see him pop up here because this is a pretty famous episode, I think, um, with him here. So let's let's get into it. We open up, as usual, at West Beverly and head to the tennis courts. Someone's practicing. He's lighting it up and Brandon's watching and they start to talk about skills and preferences around uh tennis rackets and everything else and brandon's really laying it on heavy apparently this guy has a lot of accomplishments he's top of the class he's a star tennis player and you know it sounds already like he's got the potential to go pro but he tells brandon like i'm not going to give you an interview i'm not doing it i know why you're here i'm just and you get the vibe that brandon had tried or someone from the paper had tried this a couple times already because he immediately says no and then Brandon hits him yep. with the, you know, Borg didn't become a star till he talked to the press. And apparently that was enough to, to break him because he says, OK, I'll do it. Um, so he's he's ready to talk. So, Tim, what do you think of this intro and this? Uh, we don't find out his name yet, but uh, the, right. the soon to be named Roger Azarian. So, um, first of all, I, I just want to point out um, this is like your second podcast in as many weeks. Well, Depending on when people are hearing this, it might be a little bit more of a gap. But anyway, it's it's another podcast for you where you're you're having to talk about uh, '90s tennis and '90s tennis stars and stuff like that. <laughs> That's true. It's like, and I'm trying to think of what it was. I was listening. Was it uh, you and Chad on uh, on um, uh, Monday Night Warzone? Yeah, um, we got into the whole you know U.S. Open and everything. Yes, ninety six. Yeah, so I got to thinking about that, of course. Um, I also um, I have to ask you guys because look, I was not a tennis jock. I was not any kind of jock in high school or today or at any point in my life. He like just shatters this this tennis racket at one point. I mean, the thing is like bent. It's ruined. Is that a thing that happens? 
<laughs> on a routine basis that was, with I these. Mean, nine, man, that was that was Andre Agassi and John McEnroe. That was yeah. That was in. I mean, <laughs> racket, but I, I wasn't a tennis guy either, but I was a big uh, Agassi fan and had the first Agassi shoes, and that that was a thing back then in the nineties. Wow, smashing the rackets shoes. out of anger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, immediately, just it just shows you, tells you what this guy is all about. Even if he isn't, um, you know, the most uh, social of, of the socialites here at West Beverly. So I um, thought I painted a good picture of the character. But um, I don't know. You know, beyond that, um, I always enjoy when these future stars turn up on the show when they weren't really anybody at the time, but they're just about to break out. So um, it, it's also just fun to watch from from that angle. I thought. It was just a classic episode. Watching back on it, it was uh, having him, uh, Brandon, uh, them going just back and forth. It was uh, it was a uh, it was it was it was one it was one of my favorite episodes going back in the day. I mean, ninety. What'd you say it was? Ninety what? April ninety one. Yeah. 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 So I was eleven years old. I mean, I didn't watch it then, but watching it back, I remember just seeing Matthew Perry and. It was, it was a deep episode. It was, uh, it was a good one. So we cut to the next scene is Brenda freaking out in the hallway, uh, still about these SATs. She's rambling with Kelly and Donna. They're more worried about uh, Fred. She's more worried about a Fred Siegel sale than she is about her SATs. But you can tell already it's like kind of forced. Like she's obviously hiding something. Brandon uh, then goes over to Andrea and lets her know she's got an interview with the, the legendary Roger Azarian. And she said she wants it to be very detailed. This is like a very... A big opportunity for the Blaze to interview this guy who's turned down all interviews before now. Steve comes in. He says Roger's a perfect specimen, and he's uh, George's Aryan son. George is self-made, but now owns half of Orange County and beyond. And we find out that Steve's mom, Samantha, dated George back in the day. And the hot rumor right now is that he built a library at Stanford. So Roger would have an easy path in to the school. So, Tim, were you surprised like they had to go this route out of the gate where – like a scene ago, Brandon's talking about Roger having this like sterling record, like tennis and his grades and everything else. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know Stanford's like high standard, but it seemed like this kid can't get in based on these merits. I know we're going to explore it as we go, but it felt like an immediate contradiction the way they went about it. Like Steve's talking like he's a slacker and his dad had to buy him in, you know? It really did. It, it sounded like he's he's the total package, essentially, in terms of um being a a shoe-in like he not only does he have the grades he's got um you know the athletics he's got the the legacy connection certainly you know which has got to be huge um money is is clearly no object i mean if they're not letting him in who the hell are they and so yeah i'm not sure that that really fully tracks unless it's a, a situation where he's he's maybe had some um entrance uh some interviews or or you know some applications and stuff like that that he's just really blown because as we're gonna as we're gonna learn more about this character it seems like he's a little bit maybe self-sabotaging um he's got his issues obviously we'll we'll dig into that but i wonder if if it's one of those deals where he doesn't really want to go there um, but he's just feeling like he has to, so he's going through right. the motions. But it's very obvious to anybody in admissions, like this this kid doesn't want to be here. Um, so maybe it's that, and it's just not really coming across to uh, his peers at at West Beverly. Um, the stuff at the SATs, like, is this our first 
continuing storyline now like well outside of like a weird brenda, way <laughs> brenda and dylan um <clears throat> dating yeah i mean them dating one. but as far as like a a thing like a, a subplot right that continues right. from i mean the, the relationships have, have been been what they are but in terms of like here's a thing that happened in one episode that we're still kind of tracking um yeah. that that didn't just go away i mean that was just an episode ago, all the kids, you know, that Saturday took their SATs. Brenda was so worried she was going to miss it and have to reschedule. So, I don't know. I just, I like getting some follow-up on that right. um, pretty quick, too. So, yeah, it's uh, a few different threads here we're going to be following um, in this episode. I, I agree with you 100%, because that came out of... I, watching watching the episode again, I mean, I haven't seen it in years, and watching it again, you're like, what, why couldn't this kid get into Stanford? Like, he's got everything. So why is this a big, why is this even an issue? Like, so that was, that, that, that kind of piqued my interest right there. Yeah, it was like right out of the gate after Brandon was gushing on him, so... All right, we'll see how it plays out. So we got Brenda, Kelly, and Donna to go to the Walsh house, and we found out the SAT results are in. Uh, but Cindy's sitting there doing taxes, and Kelly's like, why Why don't you use an accountant? And she's like, basically, well, Jim is one, and he says he's going to help, but he never fucking does, and we can't hire one because he won't let me because he says I'll help. And then she says, the title of the episode, which you don't always get, April is the cruelest month. Brenda opens her envelope and reveals she got an 1190, so she got a 630 math and a 560 verbal. And Kelly says, look, you can get into UCLA with those numbers. And said he says, or the University of Minnesota. So some foreshadowing there. And uh, Don is super nervous, though, and she just, like, bolts out of the house. Uh, Charlie, I think Tim and I talked about this in the last episode. How did you do on your SATs? (laughs) Did you beat Brenda? I did not. I did not. I, I that wasn't my uh, forte in life. I I did like that. While Brenda's score is like pretty good, it's not like astronomical, you know. Because these Walsh kids, we've talked about how they're so fantastic at everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like they're getting perfect scores on the SATs here, um, especially their first time taking it. She got me by a hundred. Uh, I'll I'll, got you I'll by admit 100. it. I, I, that wasn't my thing. Well, the good thing is hers is fictional, Charlie, so you still probably beat her. Yeah. Yeah, well. There you go. I'm not no shame. They're not putting up up Flanagan numbers, Tim. We know that. Um, Right. For sure. But but I'm with you. I'm glad they didn't go, like, over the top with it, you know, that they didn't. Oh, we both got 1300s or something, you know, 1400s. Yeah, come on. They kind of bring it down a notch. All right, so we go over to the Azarian household. Brandon's kind of poking around as he's waiting on uh, Roger and he notices a huge rack of vintage guns and Roger kind of catches them, uh, <laughs> explains it to him. He said he started to shoot at age six is when he started to learn. And it goes through this whole thing. He says like survival of the fittest out in that world. And he's kind of talking. I think we learned this about Roger as we go. He talks very veiled with a lot of things. We don't really know what yeah. he's thinking. And he's kind of giving you hints into what he's thinking and then denying them. Right. Like you get that a lot out of him. Um, so that's our first visit 100%. there. He seems guarded, but he's like trying to give just enough hints for the help, you know? Yeah, he, he's being a little bit creepy. He's like one of those people that um, almost like one of those people that tries to test you to like feel you out to see, you know, how how outrageous they can be. What kind of what they can get away with saying before you'll you'll really push back on them. Um 
sort of seems like one of those types in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm also somewhat fascinated by the, I don't know what to call it, the, the Azarian compound, <laughs> yes. this, this house. Um, cause it's like this, um, I don't know. It's like this old Tudor style home. Um, but, but it's like kind of, you see that there's the main house, but there's also either like a guest house or a boat house or something like off to the side, which is going to come into play later in the episode. It just seems very, uh, sprawling and, and also, um, of a style that, that we're not really used to seeing in this show. Uh, it's kind of, I don't know. I'll tell you, you know what it reminded me of was like Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Um, yeah, because they had yeah, like the pool house like annex set up too off the pool, so it kind of mm-hmm. feels like that, like a just a big sprawling Bel Air mansion from that show. Yeah, but I'm kind of into it. <laughs> did they ever say what the father did? Like actually did? <sighs> they don't come out and say it, but it sounded like it was stock market related because. Later in the show, when he's on yep. the phone, he's like talking about trading and different stuff, and he's self-made. Yes. So yeah, I would guess yeah, maybe yeah. just did that yeah. probably. Um, all right, so back at the Walsh house, Cindy's bitching out Jim about the taxes and all their expenditures, and Jim's trying to cool her. She's like, "Well, we're doing fine. Like, <laughs> chill out." And he says he'll help, and said he's like, "You always say that, and you're off, you know, helping corporate America, and I'm stuck here with the shoeboxes." So she's not happy. Uh, Brenda is like pacing the walls, trying to figure out, you know, when Brenda Brandon's coming home so they can check the SAT scores, but he's not there. And she leaves the room and Jim, he's ready to, he's willing to throw down a saw buck on, uh, who did better, uh, Brandon or, or Brenda. And Cindy wants like, none of that smoke. She's like, I'm not getting involved. <laughs> like that doesn't go anywhere good if they find out. So, uh, Jim's looking for a little action on these scores. Uh, yeah. Um, I just wanted to jump in here and, and to, to observe that uh jim knows that the scores are in uh he knows that brenda's gotten hers at no point does he ask her well how'd you do he, he just <laughs> he just immediately yeah, yeah. turns it into a bet between between the two kids right. he's, like, he's confident Jim. he knows right. who do you yeah he had oh he had brandon no doubt like yeah, no doubt that was money on brandon definitely of course he would have. I, I bet he would have laid. He would have laid some odds too. Like he would have given Cindy like ten to one on Brenda. Is my guess. <laughs> <laughs> he would have. Look, while you're doing the taxes, you know, write it down. Make sure you <laughs> put it on the refrigerator. All right. So back to these Arians. Uh, Brandon thanks Roger for the tour, and Roger and they're about to start the interview. Brandon busts out the recorder, and Roger says no. He doesn't want to record it. It makes him nervous. Uh, and Brandon says, "All right, that's fine. I'll work for my notes." And as they're about to start, in comes Big George, and uh, he's happy. He says, good, it's about time to get some spotlight on you. And he says he just had a meeting with someone in Stanford Admissions, and, you know, went well, and he thinks, like, you know, things are good. But Roger's, like, immediately embarrassed. Like, he's kind of, like, doesn't want to talk about in front of Brandon. You can tell him makes him uncomfortable. Uh, George then mentions that Roger uh, wrote a screenplay, and Roger – says, you know, you can pull all the strings you want, but he's he's just not happy about it, basically. Uh, George makes sure this is an off-the-record thing as well, basically, because he keeps talking about the Stanford stuff and how he's going to make it happen, and he's like, you know, off the record, off the record, right? So immediately just a piece of work you can tell this guy is. Uh, Roger then offers to let Brandon read the screenplay if he wants to, so he says he will. So, Charlie, I thought this is a pretty key scene because we, we see immediately, like, 
you know, we already know Roger's kind of shifty and seems at unease. And as soon as we meet George, it's like crystal clear what. Oh, that was key right there. You knew that you, you, you just knew that that's that was his upbringing. I mean, he he just. He... Yeah, as soon as old man George came into the situation, um, it was like, all right, we, we understand the dynamic. It's It's very clear what's happening with these two. And it's like George is probably not like the worst father in the world and in, in theory, but you can tell he's like just wondering why his son is, is so antisocial and, and so weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and just wants, wants him to be a different person that, that, uh, Roger is just not. And he, you know, he, uh, brings up this screenplay and it's like, why is this big shot tennis star? Like, why does he have screenwriting, um, aspirations? It just seems very at odds with, with everything that we think we know about him. Um, and that's going to go some interesting places as well as we're about to find out. Uh, but it's like this, this kid is just, just a lot. I mean, he's this, uh, this, this rich hotshot, even by, by West Bev, uh, standards, he's this, you know, high school tennis star and aspiring screenwriter. It's, it's a lot to lay on mm-hmm. one character. Um, but I think there's a reason for that. It's that, you know, this this guy doesn't even entirely know himself who exactly he is and, and what he wants out of life. And it's causing him a lot of anxiety. Looking back at it, once you see that, that when since I was six, you knew that this episode wasn't going in a good direction. Right. No, definitely not. Like it was just going to be the only question was what what kind of tragedy was going to come from this or or what direction would it go? Exactly. Yeah. All right, so Brandon comes home, and Brenda, Cindy, and Jim are immediately on his ass to open up this envelope. And he does, and he's like, oh, okay. And he you know, doesn't tell him the score. He kind of fucks with him. And then he reveals he got an 1190, and everyone is shocked <laughs> that Brenda and Brandon got the same score, but they flipped <laughs> the individual parts. So yeah. while Brenda got the yep. uh, 630 math, 560 verbal, Brandon got the, the higher score on the verbal and lower on the math. So, um, But there we go. They're equal. So Brenda's happy. Uh, Brandon says where he was. And Jim, he's a big fan of George's Arian. He says, that guy, hey, that guy made himself up from nothing. Um, so we don't get the usual Jim Walsh warnings here. He's like all in on Big George. <laughs> right. Uh, and, yeah. and Brenda finds out that Brandon's got the screenplay. So she wants to read it uh, right away. So I, I thought this is well done. I, I think it's. You know, it was, it was funny they got the same score because it's a little unexpected. You wouldn't think Brenda would would match him. And uh, the reactions were all funny because they're all kind of different reactions for this, you know, di- different ver- or same reaction for different reasons. And I like that they inverted their math and verbal scores, mm-hmm. um, which is consistent with I think it was that that earlier episode with um, <laughs> Cindy stepping out on Jim where they had the. Uh, the twin study um, B plot where yes. uh, they did some testing oh and it was God, like, you yeah. know, it demonstrated that Brenda was mo- much better, like um, quantitatively and, and Brandon had, you know, more the, the uh, qualitative skills, the, the English verbal communication type stuff. And uh, you know, maybe that would inform some of their career trajectories. Um, but we don't really get into that here. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, twin magic. What can you say? Um, it's it's. Uh, I I like the way that they're sort of slowly revealing how each character does on these SATs. They're not like mm-hmm. making it the focal point of the episode, and they're not dragging it out. But it's still interesting in its own way, seeing how everybody reacts to this. You know, some be some students are certainly taking it more seriously than others. Um, like Donna's super freaking out. Um, Kelly's just being kind of blase about it. I don't think. Dylan even took them. So. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, he said he, was, um, he waits till next year. I think we, not, we heard he that last time. He, he did not take them. He definitely didn't take them. So there you go. Um, the one thing we don't find out in this is that what's the, how Steve and Andrea did. I mean, that was the big story right. last episode. That we was find out. Yeah, that kind of that kind of bothered me. Yeah, Andrea was very nervous. Um, so we head up to Brenda's room. They read the screenplay, and it, early on, it seems based on his actual life, um, with a little bit of fantasy twitch to it and we actually get a visualization as it plays out so i guess that's you know brandon pretty much kind of visualizing since he knows roger in the house he's kind of playing it out in his head and we're seeing that and we find out that in here roger mentions to i guess it's a girlfriend or whoever the main love interest is in the movie that you know he could kill his dad if he wanted to because he he hates him so as that's going on, Kelly calls and interrupts that she got a 1050 SAT score. So she's she's right near you, Charlie. You guys did well. And she's thrilled about yeah, it. Kelly, Kelly, we got it. Yeah, she's pumped. Um, and Kelly says, Donna said hers didn't come in yet. And Brenda's kind of like, well, that's weird. Like, everyone else got theirs. Uh, Brenda tells Kelly about the screenplay. And Brandon is, like, not happy. He's like, don't tell her. <laughs> the whole fucking school will find out if you tell her. Um, and then Kelly reveals she actually slept with Roger, uh, but he he could, he dumped her because George didn't think she was good enough for him. So this this continues a trend of like um, when we find a new character that becomes new to the Walshes, like Steve and Kelly, like have you either known them or dated them? Like, so I guess it adds a sense of realism that there's not these random kids at the school that everyone's just meeting for the first time. Like, of course they would all freaking know this guy. So. I think it, it helps that like everyone's like, oh yeah, Roger, you know, this and that. We we just haven't seen him. Um and but we're And of course we, Kelly does. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, of course Kelly right. did. But you can tell as they read more, it's clear that Roger's in on clipping George. <laughs> like it's, it's a it's a fantasy that he's playing out through this movie, Charlie, um, which is a little scary. Right. Well, and it, it seems like there's some um some steamy romance scenes in this uh, mm-hmm. screenplay as well. It's kind of a, I'm getting kind of a um, American psycho vibe from, from this little screenplay that he wrote. It's just this, uh, this rich guy with, see with a very, see that. very warped worldview. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, it's like American psycho junior or something. It's like the prequel to, uh, <laughs> see, yeah, I, got that. That. I can see that. <laughs> um, and it, it's fitting that uh, Kelly and, and this guy would have crossed paths in the fa- in the of past. Um, and I always I like that too. It just gives the the show um, just a, a greater sense of th- there's a world outside of the Walshes, which which I sort of can always appreciate. Um, and and yeah, I mean Kelly being kind of not the most popular girl necessarily but maybe the mm-hmm. most popular girl in her grade um would have gone out with this guy and it, they would have made a lot of sense on paper but yeah he's got so many issues that there's just no way um so he is a grade level 
he's meant to be a uh, Roger is meant to be a grade level above them, right? He's a senior. Yeah, he's graduated there. And as we've covered yeah. extensively, they're juniors. Right Although now. I don't know, actually, is he? Because when he already I'm, I'm trying to think when you get accepted to schools, I guess senior year, because I mean, it's April of senior year and he's just dealing with admissions. Yeah, that's weird. They are playing kind of but fast think, and I loose think, with I that. Think it was. I mean, it made it to me, it made it sound like he was a senior. I mean, yeah. maybe they just messed up that stuff and just kind of played it off mm-hmm. like he wasn't picking. There, but it made it sound like he was he was a good Well, and Andrea is the one saying, oh, you do the senior spotlight on. Right, right, right. Roger is there. So, I mean, you wouldn't be doing that if he's not actually a senior. But I mean, maybe that's part of the whole sense of urgency here is that this guy hasn't gotten into a school Chosen. yet. It's. You know, it's fucking April. Come on. What are we? We're really scrambling. And for most people, you're pretty much out at that point. If you're trying to start in the fall, if, if you haven't picked or gotten picked by April, right. um, I don't know what you're doing unless you're just going to like a, a state school or something, a safety. Unless school. he just apply late because they wanted to work the system. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's just a fast and loose thing. I think it's a. I, th- I think there's one of those things we, we talked about this a few times. Like they just didn't put that level of thought into it. It's just, it fit the story for him to find out. Yeah. Now. That's all. Um, so, but yeah, you're 100%. right. You guys, right. he's definitely a senior. Uh, so Andre's over, over to Brandon. She, you know, she wants to run the story, but he wants to bury it. And he basically says, look, I like him. What she thinks is because he doesn't like him. And he's like, no, I actually right. I really like the guy. Um, but he's not the golden boy. Everyone thinks he is like this stuff going on here. And then Brandon gets a little real. He's like, you know, how do you handle these troubled kids with, with the rap line? And, you know, she says, she's going to listen and get across that they're not alone, like that others have these problems. And then Andrea kind of realizes Brandon's talking about Roger and Brandon spills the tea. He's spiraling quickly. He can't keep it in. Um, and says, look, I read this and it's, you know, edgy. And like, I think there's a chance he could maybe want to do harm. And Andrea said, look, the urge may exist, but it may not be reality. And Brandon's just not buying it. So he's... He's reading all the red flags here that this guy's like on the edge of doing something drastic, whereas everyone else is kind of more in the, well, it's just a, just a screenplay. It's not real type of thing. Uh, we go to the hallway where Kelly has a giant book of colleges and she's making choices based on boy to girl ratios, which they make seem vapid. But I, I remember doing similar. <laughs> like, like, I don't think it's that <laughs> out of, the realm of uh, reality that people would look at stuff like that. Like, I definitely remember. You mentioned like. Uh, didn't you uh, mention University of Colorado? I remember that. Yeah, she said a couple. Yeah. And, well, yeah, she said, um, I think that's later when Brenda says something. She goes, we can go to Hawaii or, like, or Colorado. Basically, we could either go surfing or we could go skiing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the boy to girl is, like, yeah, I remember that being a real thing. Like, where I went was, like, a, it was, like, over a two to one, I think, girl to boy. Um, so, Kelly, Kelly's doing her homework. She knows what's up. Uh, but Donna wants no part of it. She storms off. We go to class for a test, and Donna's, like, panicking and is completely shook. And she fakes a contact lens issue and says she's going to go to the nurse. And everyone's kind of like, all right. Um, this was another one that kind of resonated a little oddly to me. Like, has she never freaked out a test before? Like, it seems like this is an ongoing issue. But mm-hmm. when everyone sees it, they kind of act like it's a new thing. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just the stress of the SATs piling up on her. But... It felt like maybe this was something that would have happened previously based on what she's been saying. You yeah, well, and also, yeah, their their reactions, because it, it looks like um, 
I think Kelly, Brenda, and Steve are all in the same classroom. Right. They all kind of like Steve like rolls his eyes and has a really funny sort of reaction to her storming out that way. So I must wonder if this isn't an unusual occurrence. It's just we haven't seen it on the show. Right. And and maybe now it's just like you said, gotten worse because of the you know, the the stress um and the anxiety she's having over, you know, bombing the SATs as as we're gonna find out. Um and it's all just kind of she could maybe play it off or play it cool uh, to a certain extent before, but now it's just like really, um, right. It's really Too getting much. to her yeah. and it's, and it's becoming super obvious to other people that, that she's got a problem too. This is, I mean, we'll just, we should probably point out now the most attention Donna has gotten so far in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a, it's been a slow, very slow climb for her in terms of just going from a glorified extra to having a few lines an episode. Um, to kind of showing glimmers of a personality. And here it's like, she gets her own little, um, her own little side story really. And, um, that's, I mean, that's kind of a turning point. I would have to think for this, this series. It's not like she's going away. Charlie, were you a big Donna person, uh, watching the show? I'm not going to lie to you guys. Cause I'm here to tell the truth. And she was, uh, in the later years, because I started watching it probably season four, season five. She was my favorite. Really? She was my favorite. She was my favorite. Wow. Yep. I tell you, they're was, out there. I don't know my... that many people would admit it, but they're they're the Donna I'll, fans I'll... out there. She was she was uh, my favorite. This was a, this this was a. I mean, watching back at this episode, I don't think we've got that far yet. But when she was having the cigarette, I'm like, "What the what? What's going on?" <laughs> but yeah, that felt a little heavy-handed. Uh, we yeah. there, we'll talk about it, but um... <laughs> but she was my uh, she was my th- her and Claire were my two tops. Okay, I do like some Claire. Yes, uh, we, we've got a ways to go before we can talk about her, but. Yeah, I mean, welcome to the show, <laughs> Donna Martin, <laughs> officially. I'm here. Right. I'm here. <laughs> so Roger's with Brandon. He asks his thoughts on the screenplay, and he says, uh, truth is stranger than fiction. And Brandon says it was riveting, and Roger was feeling good about that. So he says, hey, you know what? I got season tickets to the Dodgers, and he offers to give Brandon a pair. And Brandon jokes, you know, is you try to buy me off. And Roger gets offended. He gets kind of aggravated. He's like, look, do you want to go or not? And Brand's like, well, we'll go together. And Roger's like, yeah, yeah, all right. Do you want him? <laughs> then he leaves. So <laughs> you can tell, like, immediately, this is a guy that feels like any friends he's ever had or anyone that's ever wanted to deal with him was because of his money and his status, right? Yep, yep, 100%. Um, and so, like, when Brandon says that, it's a hard trigger to him. Like, oh, I thought that maybe this guy was cool. And now he just thinks, like, I'm just trying to, like, be like my dad and pay him off, right, to get what I want even though it was just a bad joke, awkward joke from Brandon. Um, so Brandon goes to Dylan and like, this is about as direct as conversations you could have. And you know that they're good friends because otherwise this might've been weird. He basically says like, look, you and your dad got all kinds of issues. Would you ever kill him? <laughs> and Dylan's like, no, like I've, I've never gone over the edge. And Brandon says, why? And Dylan says, it's you, you and Brenda keep me from going over the edge. Uh, just what a sweet king uh, he is at this time. <laughs> sweet king. That, yes. 
that was funny watching that part. That was I got a kick out of that when he he just went right up to him and was like, "Boom." Would you ever kill your dad? Dare <laughs> <laughs> think about it. I mean, you hate the guy, right? Uh, yeah, right. But uh, Dylan, uh, Dylan's sweet as always. So, uh, and then we see this is where Brenda, uh, Kelly, and Dylan see Donna smoking a cigarette with some dregs over by the car. She's got the leather coat on and the shades. So she's. It might be a. When George on Seinfeld tried to be the bad boy, <laughs> that's what it felt like. Like it, it didn't feel organic at all. Like she's definitely forcing it, did, it. it. I actually paused that scene just to be like, "Whoa, that was uh, that was uh, that was something for me right there." Looking back at that one. Well, I mean, what can you say? Donna's got some catching up to do as a character. I, I think the show doesn't exactly know. Um, who she is yet or who she's going to be mm-hmm. as a main cast member. Um, so we're, we're kind of figuring some things out. We're throwing some things at the wall, see what, see what sticks. Um, and so, um, yeah, Donna stressed out over her, uh, her grades or her test scores is, uh, is now hanging out with the local toughs here at, uh, West Beverly smoking, being a bad girl. Maybe, maybe that's who she is. Maybe she's a bad girl to no good. So we see Roger with his therapist. He's talking about not having any friends. And then he goes in on George. He says he only treats me like an asset. Um, a lot of anger. And he actually says right here, I wish you were dead. And so things are getting hot. So we go to break. And when we come back, um, we see George working in his office. And Roger comes sneaking in. He picks up the hide a key, goes in, goes to the cabinet, gets a gun, cocks it starts kind of sneaking around the house. George hears him. He says, you know, Roger, is that you? Roger comes in with the gun, lifts it, pulls the trigger and kills his dad. But then we realize it was just Brandon reading the screenplay. And this is his visual <laughs> visualization again. And he is shook. Um, one thing I noticed too, throughout this episode, it's very soap, soap opera style heavy, right down yeah. to the music. Like we get the dramatic soap, soap opera music through it. Um, as well so like they're really going for that kind of murder mystery general hospital side it was a big episode i mean it was a different it was a different everything in this episode Mm -hmm. everything from before that and even after it it was a it was a different episode charlie did you did you know right away like that this was a fantasy or were you thinking this was like actually happening i i don't know i I, it it was i mean obviously i knew the, the Last time I watched was a couple nights ago, and I know it was fake, but I don't remember. I don't remember back then because, like I said, I probably I started watching when they started college, so I had to go back and watch everything right. after. I, I don't, I don't, I don't remember what I thought. Yeah, for all you knew, this one-off uh, guest star character played by Matthew Matthew Barry did kill his dad on the show. Exactly. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, this is one of those things that is consistent with these these earlier seasons is having the the fantasy, the dream mm-hmm. sequence. But more often than not, with this show, they're they're a little bit um, uh, obvious about it. There will be like a tell right away that it's that somebody's dream, right. or it'll just clearly be being it'll be done for laughs. Um, and you know, like right away, it's just they're killing time. Um, but here, it's like this could very well be be happening and it is such a it is such a melodramatic departure from what we're we're used to seeing like the past couple episodes that we've we've watched i mean compare this to 
uh, Brenda's, you know, breast cancer scare just just in our last go round, which was more of that, um, like a, a very special episode. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to call it a. We talked about sort of the difference between that and a and an after school special. Like that was played pretty realistically. Like it was it was more of a teaching moment and this is just pure on soap i mean just total and as you said right down to the very heavy-handed uh music cues throughout the episode you know what you're dealing with this is not trying to be like a oh um it could happen to you sort of episodes at all it's it's really going over the top um which surprises me given the subject matter but Mm -hmm. i I guess it is a, a different time here in 1991 well, and they also set it up enough where, like, the way Roger's been so far, like, it wouldn't have been that unbelievable that he would have done this no. at this point. So right. th- it was a good enough. They let the tease linger long enough to make you start to think it could be real, especially and given it's a one off character. You didn't know where it was going either. Like, as you saw the guns, you didn't know whether it was going to be him. It was going to be he was going to do it to himself, his father, right. the school. You didn't know where it was going. You knew yep. something wasn't going to be good, but you didn't know what wasn't going to be good. So Brenda's all over Brandon about using up the rest of the toothpaste, but he's a mess over the script. He tells Brenda about the big climactic scene. Uh, and then Brenda compares it to Donna acting guarded and weird as well. Um, and she jokes that maybe we should set them up. So she, I don't think she's really buying into the severity either, but she's got her whole Donna issue going on. Uh, Steve runs into Roger in the hallway at school. He says, I heard your dad got you to Stanford. And Roger is not happy about that <laughs> at all. Uh, this is where Kelly says she's leaning to either Hawaii or Colorado. And we get a big debut here, uh, Tim. We kind of talked about this because this mm-hmm. actress was in a previous episode. But it's the arrival of Mrs. Teasley. Uh, she right. comes up and congratulates them on their scores and says she's concerned because Donna missed their meeting. And Kelly then reveals to Brenda that Donna wasn't even in school today. So problem still afoot that was one of her first episodes huh i didn't even realize that yeah she she played um she was like the was she the twin study she was the twin studies coordinator yeah yeah i remember that i remember that but yeah yeah. she was a different character um so that's a they brought back the actress uh to play and i don't know does she even get a name in this episode they don't i don't remember anybody saying mrs teasley or they don't even establish She's not even principal, right? She's like a guy. Right. Yeah. She seems more if she is the principal, it doesn't seem like it. She seems more like a guidance counselor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that is Denise Stouse, uh back, I guess, for her second episode now with a, mm-hmm. playing a different character, but a character who will be a fixture of these high school years going forward. Yep. Yep. First first showing is her is Mrs. Teasley. Yeah. Uh, this episode. Yeah, we got a lot going on. Brandon hops in uh, Roger's car, which he loves, and he wants to talk about the story. And they see Brenda and Dylan drive off. And Roger's like, isn't that your sister with, with Dylan? And then he pulls up next to Dylan and he wants to race. He's like, let's see which one of these cars is better. And Dylan, maybe in another year or two, he would probably agree to this. But he says, no, nah, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Roger says, well, I'm going to see how fast my car goes. And he goes flying down the street like a maniac. And Dylan says, that's a guy with a death wish right there. So he's, mm-hmm. again, to your point, Charlie, like, we're getting multiple teases of where these guns and, and Roger's head could be going. Like, is he just a suicidal maniac? Is he going to take his dad down or does he snap and do something to it to someone at school? So all these options are still on the table. 
That part, I must say, was one of my favorite parts of the episode with Dylan just sitting there, just being all cool and being like, yeah, I'm not racing him. Yeah, he's like, I don't need to go drive like an asshole to be cool. I can just be cool sitting right? here. So. Right. Mm. That, was a classic, that was a classic part right there. It really so, was. It, it speaks to how effortlessly cool Dylan is. Like, he doesn't do the thing that would be very superficially cool in that right. situation. He just, you know, he's, like, he's yeah. just himself throughout all yep. of it. Yep. Like, I'm good. Got my girl. I'm not yeah. going to get a ticket or crash my fucking car like an idiot. Yeah. Go ahead, buddy. So Brenda finds Donna at Fred Siegel. Uh, she figured she'd be there. And Donna gives her the cold shoulder. She's just trying to dodge this conversation. But... Uh, you know, Brenda won't back down. She basically tells Brenda, get used to it. This is me. And Donna says, well, you're pledging sororities. I'll be lucky to get a job because I'm an idiot. And I got a 620 on my SATs, a 300 math and a 320 verbal. And Brenda, uh, Brenda tries to calm her down. Most of us top that for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I would hope so. (laughs) Brenda tries to calm her down, but Donna says, uh, her mom told her she better find a rich guy to marry because she's too stupid to care for herself. And we have not met Felice yet, uh, but this is right on brand. We met fake we're... Felice. Yes, fake we met the Felice fake Felice. Who, uh, yeah, no, that's right. Martin. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the real Felice, this sounds right on brand uh, for this treatment uh-huh. for Donna. Yes. Damn. Wow. Gosh. And Brenda's Brenda's reaction to that uh, that test score, she just goes, oh, my God. Like right. She, <laughs> She's horrified. I mean, she She wants to console her friend. Yeah, but she's like, you know, there's no way she can be like, oh, it's not that bad. It's, you know, it'd be one thing if if Kelly was down in the dumps over her still four-digit score. But poor Donna here, there's just no getting around. Like, yikes. Um, I don't know what to say, you know, in that situation. Yeah, I mean, that's a bad score. That's... (laughs) It's oh, uh, yeah. easy, I mean, easy it's... to see why they went that route. And I'm not saying that Donna should internalize it to the extent that she does here. There's obviously more to it, but um, you definitely can't. You can't be like, oh, you're, you know, you're overreacting. It's, it's oh, really yeah, not no. that bad. Yeah, you yeah. can just take it's it again. Bad. You know, whatever. It's no, it's no way around it. There's nothing you can do with it. So Brandon and Roger pull up to Roger's house and Brandon says he loves the car. Roger jokes, I'll leave it to you in my will. Uh, Brandon tells him he likes the script a lot. And then he gets real and says, look, are you the main character? And Roger's like, you know, again, like we talked about earlier, he he gives enough of a look that, you know, Mm. it's him. But he's like, no, get real. Like, it's not not me. You're crazy. It's it's just a movie. Um, So they go in the house. George is on the phone and he says he has a letter from Stanford, but it's thin. And Roger's like, well, you fucking open it. Like, it means more to you than me, Dad. I don't really give a shit. Um, and Brandon's like, I'm just going to leave you guys alone. And Roger's like, no, you stay. And George's like, no, you go. So Brandon's like, I'm not sitting here. That's all I know. So he goes to the hallway. And uh, George opens the letter. And Roger did not get in. And he starts laying into Roger. He said, look, I wanted to give the additional gift. You said no, that you want to do it on your own. And you fucked it up. And... I'm taking over. I'm going to get you. I'm going to fix this and get you in. And they fight over it. And basically he's like, says, you know, why you rejected my love. And he's like, it's not about love. And so they're, they're going back and forth on that. Roger comes out and he basically tells Brandon, he, he should go home. And Brandon says a walk. It's not that far. <laughs> so again, Tim, to your point, like there's a sprawling mansion, not that far for the washouts that brand. I mean, like how far is Brandon willing to walk? Let, 
let me finish right. the scene quick and then we'll get there. So Roger apologizes. Brandon leaves and he looks in Roger's car and there's a gun on the seat in the car. So, but yeah, how far Charlie is Brandon willing to walk here home just to get out of here? Um, I mean, like under a mile, I would think, right? You, you would think so. You would, that that I mean, but you know, who knows? Who knows? Was he just saying that to just be like I? Because he never. If you if you remember in the episode, he he leaves the room, but he doesn't shut the door. So he's standing. Right. He heard the, he heard the whole conversation. Yeah. So he heard what happened, and like when Roger came out, the door wasn't even fully shut and he was just standing outside the door so who knows he, he may have been, maybe he lives one mile two miles but he was just like i'm out of here because this is getting too weird for me right either way he's willing to walk whatever it is um just to get out but yeah, yeah. i mean i guess they live close enough but they don't seem like plus with all his shit i mean he had his he had all his books and everything uh with him so it's like it's not just taking a stroll you got to carry all this crap too and i mean it's got to be either not very far or an awkward enough situation that you're willing to just bite the bullet and um i could believe either because this is an extremely awkward situation i mean say nothing of what uh brenda just went through with with donna um Brandon standing there while this guy goes back and forth with his dad and sees his, you know, college hopes and aspirations just dashed like that. Um, yeah, I'm getting the hell out of there too. <laughs> I'm kind of with Brandon here. Oh, especially once he sees the gun. He's like, yeah, no, no good. Oh yeah. And then you see that shit. Mm-hmm. So Brandon goes home. He calls Andre on the rap line. She's like, I told you not to call me here. And he's like, no, no, I need help. Um, and he tells Andre what's going on. He says it's real. He even called the police and they turned him down. And Brandon isn't sure what, what he's, you know, if he's right or not. But the issue is, what if he is like, that's the problem right now. Then he tries to talk to Jim. Um, but Jim doesn't really know what's going on either and says maybe he just needs a friend. And Brandon takes that to heart. So he heads to the Azarian house and rings the bell. And again, he has flashbacks to the screenplay. And that makes him realize the key must be under the plant, just like it was in the movie. So he picks up the little plant, and there's the key. Opens the door, and he pretty much reiterates what he envisioned the screenplay to be. He's walking down the hallway. He sees the office door, and he opens it, but no one's there. Uh, so it was a very dramatic scene that was very drawn out. Because you're expecting, again, they're trying to tease that maybe he's going to walk in on Roger dead or George dead or something like that, but no one's home. So... The next day at school, he's looking for Roger, uh, and he can't find him. Brenda's with Mrs. Teasley, and she's talking about Donna. And, you know, she basically says, look, this isn't appropriate. Teasley says they're exploring options. We're not writing her off. And Brenda keeps working hard to get Teasley to just be convinced. And Teasley's like, no, we're on the same page. Like, we're doing all this stuff for mm-hmm. her. Brand- Brandon's at the tennis court. He runs into Coach Markham, uh, who's very by the book, and uh, it says George missed practice and Brandon can't find him and he's freaking out. So he thinks maybe as he's talking to Andrea, maybe the answer is in the script. And he looks at the script and realizes he knows where he is. So he runs to the computer lab, asks Dylan to borrow, borrow his car. Dylan's like, yeah, whatever. Here you go. And Brandon's off and running. So, t- Tim, what do you think of all this? And Brandon breaking into the house to him borrowing Dylan's car to go try and save uh george's life all right so we've mentioned already how melodramatic this episode is Mm -hmm. um certainly takes place in in an extremely heightened reality 
I don't know about you guys, but I'm 17 years old. I just met this guy who's older than me, richer than me, more powerful than me, um, and seems to be kind of um, kind of a screw loose. And and I've I've just found a, a loaded gun in his car not a day before. I've read a a really terrifying, extremely autobiographical screenplay. I saw him have a really tense conversation with his father um, who he's fantasizing about killing in this very same screenplay. I ain't lurking around his house at night and sneaking in mm-hmm. in order to find, find nope. out what's going on. Nope. Not no way. Close. No how. Yeah. Um, and he mentioned he even, uh, I mean, he kind of just, tosses it out there. I, you know, I already called the police and they won't do anything. It's, which is surprising to me, um, that they wouldn't, I don't know, I at found, least do some kind of what welfare check or something. Well, especially given Just, a guy of Georgia status, it's not like a yeah. random guy. You're like this multi-millionaire yeah. man about town that everyone knows may be mm-hmm. in danger. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he's fine. You're going to say this kid has a gun. He might be killing his father. What they're going to just be like? No, no, don't. Nothing's happening. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it's weird that they wouldn't at least, you know, do what Brandon ultimately does. I mean, it's it's just crazy that he's got just no no recourse other than to sneak into the house like this. Uh, I did like the uh, the callback to the rap line (laughs) that Mm -hmm. Andrea, (laughs) you know, still involved, uh, which which makes sense for her. Um, I guess Brenda's since gotten the hell out of there, but, um, you know, it is what it is. Um, but Andrea doesn't, she doesn't have much advice to dole out either. So, um, it's really, it's really down to, down to Brandon to make the judgment call here. And, um, boy, he, I mean, I have to figure he got really lucky that that house was empty because it could have gone a lot of ways. (laughs) All right, well, we continue on, and Mrs. Teasley meets with Donna. They talk about how her grades have fallen off, but Donna's antsy. She's kind of making jokes about it, because she basically has no answer. She's like, look, I suck. I can't take tests. I'm an idiot. I can understand what's going on in class. I struggle when i got to write it down. And Teasley says, look, you just have a learning disability. And Donna's forlorn. She thinks, no, I'm just stupid. I have to accept it. I'm a moron. And Teasley goes over the steps, and Donna feels better that she clearly has something where just not registering when she goes to take the test. And, um, you know, I think this episode was ahead of its time as well, because as three guys that grew up in the early nineties could say, um, you know, this type of thing wasn't often really talked about with this level of care or, you know, consideration. Um, so uh, this, this storyline felt a little bit ahead with the learning disability. Well, going, going back at it, it's funny because I mean, I, um, I'm f- going to be 42 in May. Um, I, I was diagnosed in fourth grade with ADD and it was like, no one knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Like I had to go to Boston, I had to go. So it was, uh, it was a thing, but it wasn't talked about. It was, it was new back right. then. So that's, that's early nineties. That's right. So going back at this episode, I'm like, huh, wow. All right. I mean, I wasn't as severe as, as uh, Donna there, but uh, it's funny looking back at it, being being tested and diagnosed with ADD as a kid, um, and th- that was right in the time frame. I mean, like ninety, probably what eighty eighty seven 
or so I was diagnosed with mm-hmm. ADD. So it's, yeah, that, it's, that feels real early. It's mm-hmm. it's somewhat in the time frame, and and no one no one really knew what it was or talked about it. So it was it was kind of eye opening to me going back and watching this too. Yeah, um, and I was you know I was in grade school in 1991. I guess I would have been in uh, first grade. Um, and there were definitely those, and and I think this is an experience that a lot of us have who you know, we're in school in the nineties and eighties as well. Um, you, you would have like classmates and it was definitely one of those unspoken things. Like, like you said, Charlie, it wasn't talked about where you could tell like something is off here, but, um, we don't know what it is and we don't know what to do about it. And there would be like no real services offered, um, unless you had really involved parents who pursued it and, and a pretty good, uh, support system. And, um, yeah, this feels pretty progressive for, for 1991. Granted, they do have that support system here in, uh, in Beverly Hills. Um, and, uh, it was just, it was a nice scene here that we got between Donna and, and this educator who does Mm -hmm. take an interest in her situation. I mean, they don't, diagnose her with anything in this episode i don't i don't know if well they do they i do. think because we don't hear do it but after when don well, yeah we don't tell the girls yeah, we don't says, hear them say yeah we don't hear them say it's it's this or that but apparently there was a, a diagnosis she says yes, oh it's some long that. thing i can't but and it's I something just, I, I, just, uh-huh. I felt like it was going that for, for what i went through and my parents you know stepped up for me and it, it just felt like the situation that i was in back in the day so I'm like looking at it going like, well, all right, there you go. You know? Yeah. So she gets the diagnosis. We don't hear what the diagnosis is. Right. Probably because that's not going to mean anything to 1991 viewers. But exactly. um, clearly there, there's been an outreach effort to help her, which is nice to see. And it's um, again, I, I don't know if that's something that's going to come up a lot for. I don't really remember it being no. a, a major aspect of her character. Um I think it's a it's kind of an unglamorous thing to write for this character who is let's face it the boss's daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> and so part of me wonders like is this where did this really come from? Is this the the writer's room kind of I don't know, like being a little bit shitty <laughs> towards the fact that they have to write stories for um Aaron Spelling's daughter or are they just trying to give her anything um because she has been on the show and up to this point she hasn't had any sort of story to herself so it's i think you'll get different views on that depending on if you you know look at interviews with various staff writers on from this show uh across the years you know just like just like anybody they they had their favorites just as the viewers did but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's something it, it at least gives her an angle, uh, whether it, it gets explored more in the future or not. Um, it's it, it is nice to see for this very early time period. Mm-hmm. All right. So Brandon has the Azarian house and he finds Roger in the pool house bar. Roger's drunk, invites him in to party with him. And he's got the gun. He's taking some target practice. He shoots out. It looks like some kind of diploma or certificate. And uh, Brandon says, cut the shit. Basically, like, I'm, that's, I'm, 
here to help. I'm going to tries to talk him down. Roger says he needs the gun. And Brandon says, don't kill your dad. And Roger said, it's just a script, man. It's just a movie. Uh, I'm not going to kill my dad. Even if I did, I'm still a fucking failure. Like, I just want to prove to him I could be as good as he can, but I'll never will be. So he's not going to kill his dad. He's going to kill himself. He turns the gun and he's narrating each step of the way about what he's about to do. And Brandon, you know, I, I think he did a good job. It felt a little slow to me. <laughs> I think he left a lot of time there for, for Roger to pull the trigger. But I guess maybe he was afraid to to spook him and, and force him to do it. Um, so Roger basically says, once you go home, you don't want to see this. And Brandon keeps talking him through it. He says, we're friends. He says he's his friend and he begs him not to do it and eventually takes the gun from him. And Roger cools down. Uh, a very intense scene. I would argue, Tim, maybe one of the most intense we've seen to date on this show. And uh, it felt very realistic. Like, even until that last second, I would have thought, like, this is something that could happen. I think in hindsight, because something similar does happen, <laughs> not that many episodes from here. Um, yeah. Obviously, they weren't going to do that twice. But it felt like in the moment, like, oh, like, it wouldn't shock me if he did it and Brandon had to witness it. Um, and not save him. But Brandon comes through, takes the gun away, and uh, Roger lives on another day. Yeah, and um, it, it's a big moment, big step-up moment for Brandon, for sure. I mean, basically saving this guy's life. Um, a very Brandon thing to do, of course. But, uh, yeah, it's a huge, huge moment for the show, just in these early goings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am glad that they that they didn't turn it into and you know and now it's a suicide episode um right. because i just yeah. think that would have been yeah. a not that you can't ever do that but it would have been pretty inappropriate given just the overall tone of of how this episode played out where it was like very melodramatic and it like it had to end this way right it had to end with right. the guy getting saved essentially um and um yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, uh, in a way, it, it gets a little bit buried, I think, just under kind of some of the melodrama around it. Like, you don't really, it, you kind of have to take a step back and look at it uh, and go, wow, you know, Brandon really saved that guy's life. And it's, you know, it, it doesn't hit you the full weight of it um, because it has been so kind of over the top uh, up to that that big conclusion, which I think is well acted by you know, both Matthew Perry and, and Jason Priestley here. Um, but it's one that you sort of have to step back and, and think about a little bit more in the in the grand scheme of things and not so much just in the moment, I guess. Uh, but I, I thought it was pretty effective um, in a fitting conclusion to this whole angle. I mean, it, it was it had to end like you said, it had to end that way. Um I, I thought it was one of the it, it was a it was a good episode to go back and, and watch again. Um, it was like he said that Jason Priestley and Matthew Perry were, were great in it. Um, I, I just thought it was uh, it was uh, it, it, it had to end that way, basically. But it was good. It was great. It was it was a good looking back at it. It was a good episode. So we got a few more things to wrap up. Donna sees the other girls and talks about her disability, says actually going to let her take an oral SAT test. And she feels much better now about her chances for college. We then see Dylan, who uh, tells Brandon, put gas in my car next time. Um, and Brandon says, OK, well, I'll make it up to you. And he gives him and Steve the 
Dodgers boxy tickets that he got from a friend. So that's the name, you know, the moment there is he says, my friend gave it to me. So now we know him and Roger friends. And then Brandon visits the hospital. He's in the mental health ward. Uh, he sees George, who's definitely shook after he's visiting his son. George thanks Brandon for stepping in and saving his son and says they're both going to get some help. And Brandon's happy to hear that. So he goes in and we find the very hungover Roger sitting there after his tough day. And uh, they kind of talk about life in Minnesota versus Beverly Hills. And Brandon says, look, I'm not going to write about any of this. And Roger says, no, I want you to write about it because I didn't want to hold it in anymore. And maybe you'll save someone else and help someone else. This is the story. This is the one I want you to tell. And he says, hey, by the way, why aren't you at the game? And Brandon says he gave up the tickets because he wanted to uh, figure he could watch it with his buddy here. And he says, look, I don't have a TV. And Brandon says, well, I got this portable radio. So he pulls it out. And he says, that's what friends are for as we fade out and they're listening to the game, which is apparently in the ninth inning. So I don't know what time this is supposed to be, but uh, they say it's the ninth <laughs> when they hit the home run. Um, and that wraps us up. So all in all, like I thought, I thought this is a, a high drama episode. It was a good jaunt. It was a little absurd in some ways, um, mm-hmm. but it was a, a good attempt at the concept. We didn't get a lot of other development besides Donna's uh, step up in role and also the disability. Beyond that, it's just kind of a, an adventure for Brandon, but it was gripping at times too. And Brandon saves the day. And as I was watching it, like I knew it reminded me of something going through it. And it kind of clicked that it felt like an episode of Murder, She Wrote, where he's like yeah. using the screenplay to piece together the local mystery. And, you know, he saves the day based on what he gleaned from the book. So like, it just felt very much like like that to me as I was kind of going through it. The scene with him creeping in the house is what nailed it. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's what it feels like. I thought the exact same thing, uh, especially the creeping around the house and mm-hmm. just the whole the, the house itself. I think, you know, we compared it to um, uh, Fresh Prince, um, but it also seems like it would be right off of a, a murder. She wrote set um, We're just all that was missing is just like more old people, more old people doing like, I don't know, shuffleboard or something, <laughs> you know, like and it would really feel like a murder she wrote but um yeah i I would say i I like that we left um father and son in a a pretty good place here at the end of the episode um and i also like that we got to see roger for the first time just being real with brandon because so much of his character throughout the episode is just constantly deflecting constantly deflecting everything over and over and now it's just like okay yeah this is you know i've hit my rock bottom essentially Mm -hmm. and now you're seeing the real me and I want you to tell my story. So that's cool. Um, <laughs> kind of wanted to see Dylan and Steve hanging out at this game just, <laughs> yes. just because we never see Dylan and Steve <laughs> hang out. So that's <laughs> sort of a missed opportunity there. You're, but, right. Um, you're right. You know, uh, for as long as both of them are on this show, they're always, you know, in the same group, but you never have like one-on-one Dylan and Steve stuff, but anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a very melodramatic again, I, mm-hmm. I keep using that word, um, storyline here, uh, you know, but I love the follow up with the, with the SAT, um, uh, subplot from last episode, Donna getting a little bit more to chew on, um, you know, this Roger is, is an, another one-off character in the grand tradition of season one, one-off characters. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is the show becoming more resembling more of the show as we 
think of it and remember it. So uh, I, I think it's making steps in the right direction. And I thought that also with uh, it was a it was a well, you know, going back, you know, watching episodes here, watching episodes there, but going back and really watching an episode. Uh, it was a it was a deep episode. It was it was all over the place. It was uh, that was a well it was a well written episode for back in the mm-hmm. day. Um, I uh, it was it was interesting to go back and look and kind of diagnose everything that was going on and. It was uh, that that was one of the best, in my opinion. So, Charlie, we here in this group have something we call a recurrence. Uh, It's named after my buddy Josh Richer, who has a lot of uncanny coincidences occur to him. Uh, So it's, you know, so I just happened to come across this fun fact. 22 years ago today, as we record this. American Psycho premiered in theaters. <laughs> no uh, way. Yeah, isn't that weird? Oh, man. I All right. I saw that in the theater. That, that's Shit. a crazy coincidence that we just referenced it on the show, and yeah. then there it was. Very odd. Um, all right, let's get to our awards as we wrap things up here. Um, for the best scene, I went back and forth on a few, but I ended up going with Brandon saving Roger's life. I mean, that was that was the most dramatic, the most intense, and, and well done. Yeah, it's hard not to. Um, I don't know how you can really single out any other scene just because it is a a big moment for him. And it's something that is going to inform his character going forward, just just as, you know, kind of the consummate Boy Scout who's who's out there to, you know, save everybody. Um, Yeah, I I would back you up on that. I I would also... um... Because that's just who Brandon always was and always is. Um, but I mean, uh, secondary uh, Donna smoking the cigarette for me. Uh, that's, <laughs> that, that was my. That would have been the most important scene for you. Um, but mine, I, I, I tried to go a little deep on the important scene. I went with Dylan saying that the Walshes are what keep him from going over the edge. I thought that was the biggest, like potential foreshadowing or nugget in this for the, uh-huh. you know, and to, we, I try and do this with what's yeah. important to the future of the show. And to me, that was what yeah. was most important to the future of the show was Dylan admitting it's Brandon and Brenda that keep him on the line. I that's, am. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Charlie. That's deep because you, you think about what goes on in the future and that's, uh, that's what keeps Dylan level. Them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's uh for years to come, that's that's what does it. So that's uh, that's interesting. That's interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that that is my most important scene. Also, um, in the absence of a scene like that, I, I might give it to just the debut of of Miss Teasley yeah. and her, especially her her sit down with Donna. Um, just because we're gonna see like a lot of scenes sort of like that, just as a an adult character who's in that mentor role um that is not one of the walsh's but but really has the kids back um we will see throughout the high school years quite a bit more um but since we do get that that little just brief exchange between brandon and dylan and it's it's dylan uh dropping one hell of a bombshell here pretty casually just saying hey it's it's you walsh people (laughs) 
basically, who uh, who keep me level headed. You keep me from mm-hmm. going off the deep end, and uh, he he could very much be a uh, just another Roger if not for that. Um, so I'm I'm with you once again. Yeah. All right, for most. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No worries. If you look back at all the episodes over the years, that's uh, that's big. I I didn't even think of that. That's uh, I mean that goes on for years to come after this. So that's uh, that's a huge one. All right, for most '90s look, um, always a lot of options. But I went with at one point Roger had on a button-down, uh, striped shirt that was like had green, yellow, and purple like lines. That was like mm-hmm. a very 90s shirt. And I, honestly, I think he might have actually been a little ahead of its time. That felt like more like a mid-90s shirt to me. Um, but that was definitely a 90s-looking style with the weird color vertical stripes on the on the button down. Yeah, um, I know exactly what shirt and what scene you're talking about. Um, this was a, a yes. big... Vertical Stripes episode for some <laughs> reason. Um, so I, I didn't pick that one. I actually went with uh, Dylan had a had a vertical striped uh, multicolored button up shirt in one scene. I think it was his first scene in the episode that was just, um, I mean, screamingly 90s. Uh, but he made it look cool because, of course, he did. So, uh, yeah, I, I gave it to Dylan this time around. I don't know that I've gotten him for that uh fashion pick mm-hmm. uh in in the past so many times here but um yeah i'll, I'll give him the nod and uh that little scene well i was gonna go with dylan but i'm gonna throw in mrs teasley there for that like 90s like purple outfit that she had on with it was like a it was like a silky type top <laughs> yes um <laughs> mrs teasley was pretty 90s in that 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 picture the hair too. She had like the Hillary Banks hair yes. going on. So yes, yes. All right, most nineties moment. I went with Brandon name dropping Bjorn Borg, uh, who was a big tennis <laughs> legend at that time. Um, that's a good pick. I I think uh, I don't know. I feel like we might have already used this one in our our last episode, but just the whole waiting to get SAT results in the mail mm-hmm. and just how. And even really like, you know, what school did I get into and the whole like, uh, it's the envelope that uh, that George presents Roger with. It's awfully thin. It's like, you know what that right. means? Um, right. Like, I, I guess that's still a thing because to a certain failed. extent. Yeah. But uh, yeah, really, it's just it's really just the concept of mail and having to wait on the mail in order to find out um, these incredibly important things about your life. And I'm go I'm going back with the uh, sneaking out of school there and uh, having a cigarette in the nineties. Yeah, <laughs> on school grounds, no less. Yes, on school grounds with a leather coat. You couldn't do that anywhere but the nineties. Yeah. Yep, with, with a leather top tops. on, with a guy with blonde hair and like uh, I think he had I think he had some earrings on too, if I recall the right. The light. guy next door. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, that was pretty 90s for me. All right. Lesson learned. Uh, I went with be a friend, not a detective for Brandon. <laughs> Learn that lesson. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Um, huh, uh, I don't know. Don't don't. Ast- this is. 
this this is going to sound more crass than I mean it, but I, I think it really is. Um, there is an important difference. Don't assume someone has homicidal intent when perhaps they have suicidal intent. Um, because that was, I mean, I know they use that as the twist in this, in this episode, in the climax, it's really, um, Roger is, is wanting to self harm, not, um, attack his father. Uh, but that was sort of, you know, Brandon is trying to prevent that and thinking that this guy's a danger to other people when, the reality is most people, when they are struggling with uh, some kind of a mental illness, are not are, are not a danger to other people as much as they're a danger to themselves. Right. There, I clean that up a little bit. I mean, I was going to go as just something simple, like go with your gut, because Brandon kind of knew something was up. I don't think mm-hmm. he knew what was up, and mm-hmm. he kind of just took over and was like, all right, I'm going there. I'm going to go in. I think something's wrong and I'm going to try and, you know, Brandon being the is going in and saying, all right, let's, let's see what's going on and let's try and fix the problem. Um, and he thought something was up and he was right. He was right that something was going on. I don't think he knew what was going on either, but he knew. So I think he, uh, just tried to help out and he did. All right. Best hookup. We really didn't have any options, so I went with Brandon and Roger. <laughs> that was about the only relationship we really had on this play here. I mean, I guess if if you could give it to a past hookup, maybe Kelly and Roger. <laughs> but it's not like we see any on-screen right. chemistry there. Um, yeah, so I guess the, the bromance between Brandon and, and Roger is the best we get. All right. Uh, for best quote, I had a few... I had to put in April was the cruelest month from Cindy. I mean, that's it was a little heavy handed, but there you go. Mm, yeah. Roger yelling, I wish you were dead to the therapist. And then uh, Dylan in the car, when he says what that guy has is a death wish. <laughs> so, as cool and calm as can be as his best friend is getting driven around like a maniac uh, down the street. So that was my um, favorite. <laughs> that was that was mine. I um, <laughs> I liked one from Andrea where she just. <laughs> And it wasn't, I don't think it was meant to be funny, but she goes, well, we all have the urge to kill our parents once in a while. It doesn't mean we do it. <laughs> Andrea, this is like uncharacteristically ca- cavalier in this episode. She yeah. really is. She like, could not get me. Yeah, fun. she was. Uh, all right, final grade. Uh, I really like this episode a lot, even though it doesn't further a lot of things for the show. It was a fun watch. It was entertaining they did a good job with it everything we've talked about i had about on par with the brandon gets drunk episode i I thought they felt similar to me and so i went the same rating seven and a half out of ten okay yeah i'm um i'm not quite as high as you but i by i enjoyed the episode quite a bit as well i think it's more kind of important than it is good to me although it was a very fun and easy watch um mm-hmm. especially given the subject matter i mean this could have gone to some uh really dark places that would not be very fun to watch um but I, but i like the approach that they took where it was just all kind of um laid on pretty thick for the most part and uh so i'm gonna say um i'll do just 
just shy of you and give it a seven rather than seven and a half. I was going seven also, and I thought it was a great episode. Um, and I don't know whether it's because I haven't seen a lot. I do watch them here and now, but first one I really sat down and watched, and, and it was a to me it was just a good episode all around. Um, didn't have everything in it, but it was uh, for someone to sit down and watch it and just be like, watch this. I thought it was uh, I thought it was good. But I'm going seven. All right, let's get to our trackers, and then we'll do our character ranks. Uh, only two songs on the site I use here. One is uh, What I Lie to You by the Eurythmics when they're at school, and then Doing the Do by Betty Boo when they're at the mm. mall. But I feel like there had to be other ones. I mean, I, I know they use the score a lot with the heavy music, but I feel like there's yeah. at least a couple other times um, that there was music playing, oh, especially in the opening tennis scene. That had to be something. Wasn't that there was like some like heavy rock think. music playing or something? Like it was a yeah. You would you would think yeah. Um, it it definitely sound very yeah. Like you said, they they overlaid something there that I don't think was the song. All right, character debuts: Roger Azarian, Coach Markham, George Azarian, Janine, who is uh Roger's girlfriend in the play, and uh, then Miss Teasley. I added on here. Did I, I miss anyone? Uh, I think that would do it. Oh, you you got it. All right. Relationships. I just went with Brandon and Roger. And then places and things. The only new place was really the Azarian house. And I don't think any mm-hmm. objects came into play. Because we've seen Dylan's car before, right? So that was. Uh, uh, yes, we saw him. We've seen the we Porsche saw him before. making out with Brenda. Yep. And right, the, right. Uh, okay. The old Porsche. All right, let's do our character ranks. Uh, our bottom four, yet again, we're not here. So Jackie, Nat, Scott, and David all get zeros, sadly. Not with us tonight. Um, I think next is probably going to be either Jim or Steve, based on volume. Mm. And then you got Kelly and Andre in that mix, too. So I don't know. How would you stack those four? Um... Yeah, Steve, Jim and Steve are kind of neck and neck. Um, gosh, Jim didn't really have much here, did he? Um, no. Jim, then Steve, then uh, yeah. Kelly, then Andre had a couple funny lines. I'll give it to her. Yeah, I think I'm on board with that. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, I'm good. Well, um, what do we think, Cindy? Higher? I think Cindy's a little higher than Andrea because I liked the yes. stuff with the taxes. I thought that was good. Yeah. Taxes. I don't understand why she's doing the taxes necessarily, <laughs> but I, I like that she has something yeah, that, to do when she bond. says the episode. Yeah, that, that was the, uh, they were just probably throwing that in to make us think what the hell's going on. Right. All right. So that leaves us with Donna, Dylan, Brandon, and Brenda. I mean, Brandon's going to be number one, right? Obviously. I was going to say, um, yep. yeah, prob- probably Donna. Mm. I think Don- is Donna above Dylan, or was that car scene that much enough that? I don't know. I, well, Dylan's no, got going... the car scene, and he's got the big admission to Brandon about. Right. You know, the and he gives him the car. Family. Yeah. And he gets, I'm he got going, best dressed for me. 
You still going Donna? Charlie's not giving up Donna. <laughs> well, let me ask you this though: is is would would either of them be above Brenda for you in this one? Well, that's that's close to me because Donna was part of the episode, right? Yeah. But she didn't really yeah. do much. Like a big coming out for Donna. It is. I almost feel like we have to reward Donna just because. So she finally got no, something and what, she's been... not going to win much of anything else. So I'm going, uh, I'm going. This. So what if we go Brandon one? Yeah. Dylan two. Donna three. Brenda, Brenda four. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. I just leaning more towards Donna two, but I'll, I'll stay Dylan yeah. two. Look, we put her at three for you, right? <laughs> More do you want? Trying. That is huge. That is huge for her. I mean, considering she barely makes it out of the bottom. I mean. Oh yeah, no, it's gonna shoot her up a little bit now in, into yeah. the rankings here, so it's good for her. Um, <clears throat> all right, I'm gonna tally these up, Tim. Uh, anything quick you want to talk about the North South connection? Um, yeah, I would just say that uh, if you're not subscribed to the North-South Connection, that's where you're hearing this podcast right now. So uh, subscribe today. We've got, uh, in addition to this podcast you're hearing, 9021 No So, um, quite a bit of great content, a variety of content, really. Um, if you're a comics fan, you got Second Print Comics. If, uh, if you are a wrestling fan, a bevy of pro wrestling related content here on the North South connection. Some of that, including uh, the ruthlessly aggressive podcast, Jacob Williams, uh, certainly uh, JT, you and Chad uh, have returned recently mm-hmm. with the Monday night Warzone podcast, um, which I have uh, been getting back into the wrestling Warzone. excuse me, chronicling the Monday night wars, uh, which I've been enjoying that kind of that summer going into fall of 96. Um, I've really been, been digging that, that podcast lately. I've, I've meant to tell you, and uh, I kind of want to get into your back catalog because I know I've missed some episodes along the way as well, but um, daily podcast, daily content here on NOSO. We've got Chronoso daily. So pretty much something new dropping every single morning, um, just in the form of pop pod blast, just quick, you know, five to tw- ten minutes uh, of content uh, just to, to give you a little something to, to start your day here on um, North South. So um, I would say you can also uh, find me on Twitter. I am at Psych68CYKE68 on Twitter if you want to drop me a line, if you want to talk about 90210. Um, and if you're interested in being a guest, we are, you know, trying to line up guests for our heading into our second season of this series and got a lot of slots open so if um if you're a fan of the show uh if you've been on the show before on this show before or not just you know get in touch with us uh you could be like charlie maybe you've never done a podcast before ever but you're a real passionate (laughs) 90210 fan um we want to hear from you so we got a lot of episodes still to cover um get in touch and uh hope you're still enjoying this uh this podcast because i'm still enjoying doing it me too bud all right here's our final tally we got some shakers and movers here based on this episode so 
still in last place, Jackie Taylor with 13, Napasuccio with 35, and Scott Scanlon now into the bottom three with 61. Donna passes him up to 69. So that's our a clear bottom tier. David stagnated at 112, got passed by Andrea, who's now at 116. And then uh, the next tier up is Jim Walsh at 131. Dylan McKay has passed him again at 135. So that ongoing battle, I think, will be uh, a war for years to go, <laughs> both on screen and off. <laughs> Jim and Dylan. Uh, Kelly Taylor above them at 146. Cindy Walsh passes her now with 147. Steve Sanders at 149. So that three is kind of another little group that's been battling. And that brings us to our top two. Brandon Walsh still in second, but he's halved the lead. He's at 208. Brenda Walsh at 211. So he was down six coming in. Now he's only down three after picking up some points on her tonight. So we'll see how that continues to play out as we continue to move toward the end of season one. Charlie, I want to thank you for coming on here tonight. Thanks for having me, guys. Anytime. Anytime. Glad to be here. All right. We'll get you back in season two, no doubt. And Tim, I'll talk to you soon as well. Till then, everyone have a little dim sum. Little dim sum. Maybe I am tougher than you think. So you just gotta suffer. I'm sorry if I upset ya To get the better of me, I will let ya Any time of the day, I could get ya You come running at me, yes, I bet ya Ain't going out like a sucker There's no need to huff and puff up Cause baby, I am tougher than you think So you just gotta suffer